Hey, that's right. We are chapter 6, page 71. Ooh. Let's do that 71 times. Ready? Yeah, whatever. Anyway, I don't have time for that. We're always in time constraints. So uh, 71, if you turn there, you see it's a brand new topic. Yay! That is called Scripture. Scripture, 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 Scripture. Memorization. Yeah, that's what it is. Let's memorize that. Uh, scripture memorization is where we are at. Very important study there at the top of page 71. You mean I can carry a sword? Isn't that awesome? That's a guy thing, Jennifer. You know what I'm saying? And that's exactly what he talks about. Let's begin at the top there. He says, I remember pulling out my sword in the train station one day. Jenna, that was a rough train station, isn't it? i tell you what, that's... I think there's a little more to it. Let's keep going. Uh, it was a couple of years ago when my wife and I were missionaries in Bulgaria. Uh, a friend and I had gone to the train station in Sofia, Bulgaria, to travel to a church-based training site for Christian workers. I had gone into the station with our mini bags in hand while my friend went to park the car. Now, waiting for him to come back, all of a sudden, two young men passed by me and one stopped to talk. He asked where I was going and where I was from, and after several minutes of conversation, he abruptly left. Shortly after my friend arrived, and with a puzzled look, he asked me where my suitcase was. And I turned and looked behind me, and lo and behold, where I'd stacked all of our luggage and my suitcase, it was nowhere to be found. I had been set up. He said the second young man had circled behind me and taken my suitcase, and anger swelled up in me, and I ran to every corner of the train station as a Christian looking for the culprits. I must be honest, I like this part, my intent was to do bodily harm on them if possible. At least he's honest. And of course, if you're a Christian, that's not what you need to do, right? So what do you do? You do what the Bible says. You code it and use the words, I wanted to lay hands on him. Nice try, Tom, but that still isn't what that is meant by that term. Anyway, so then I pulled out my sword. He's going to get him. You know what I'm saying? And he says, well, technically, the Spirit pulled out the sword. Ephesians six seventeen lists the sword of the Spirit as part of our spiritual armor. Okay? The sword of the Spirit is what? The Word of God, okay? And again, as we saw last time, uh, oftentimes the Bible, if you just keep reading, it interprets itself. Oh, AJ, if only I knew what the sword of the Spirit was. I really think that what that's talking about is uh, church finances and that it's the sword that will cut through all of our problems. And if we, no, it's just keep reading there in Ephesians. It defines it for you. It's the Word of God, okay? And again, that's biblical interpretation. We saw that uh, last time. So I pulled out uh, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and I was reminded of a verse that I had learned as I studied to teach Romans at the church-based training site. Now, i got to pause right there. He was getting ready to teach Romans on this missionary trip. Do you think that's by chance? And he thinks it's by chance that, of course, God's sovereign, he knows everything. And uh, as he's intensely studying this, he thinks he's just preparing it for uh, that study to encourage these Christians in Bulgaria, which, of course, I'm sure God did. But God uses, he gets so much mileage out of everything. Have you noticed that? And so here he is studying, and the next thing you know, he gets robbed, and God had them all set up to encourage him with that verse. It's amazing, all kinds of things, and we're going to talk about that uh, here in just a second. So he was reminded of that verse, and the verse was Romans twelve nineteen. We saw this on Sunday, the concept, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the lawyer. No, it's the Lord. Sorry, Orson, wrong translation there. Uh, the Lord, as we saw uh, with that lady on the video, uh, it doesn't take long. God will give you a spanky-wanky. You don't need to do it. He'll dish it out when he wants. And that's what he learned. So the sword met its mark, i.e. the word of God. And here's the benefit from this. My sinful reaction, he wanted to go get him. He wanted to clobber him, even as a born-again Christian. My sinful reaction to Satan's temptation for me to violate God's will was what? 
All right, so right there it tells you what is the importance of knowing God's word, certainly committing it to memory so that it can be brought back up, dare I say, by the Spirit of God. Number one is it helps you to ward off what? Temptation. How many guys are, oh, if I only knew how to deal with temptation, or I'm so bombarded with temptation, I don't know what to do. If I only could find some book with 19,322 steps on how to effectively deal with temptation, I could find, how about you get in the word of God? Okay, we're going to see that in a second, okay? And that's what happened, okay? Knowing God's word kept me from sinning against him and against those two thieves. But not only that, would I say that the other thing that's going on there is knowing the word of God, it was a source of encouragement to him as well, okay? Have you guys ever experienced that when you've committed God's word to memory or just, dare I say, as we've been, we saw the last four times in a personal Bible study, okay, is when we're constantly in the word of God, uh, God will use it, a, a verse will pop out and encourage you. Have you, have you ever had that happen too? I'll just share one. It's just, man, it's just, it was a major impact. It was going through like a milestone uh, in ministry and uh, had to make some rough decisions. And next thing you know, I read, turned your Bibles to Philippians chapter one. It was just my normal daily, uh, you know, as I told you before, my methodology after years of trying different techniques is just, what a concept. Uh, grab the Bible, start at the beginning, and uh, read. <laughs> and then when you're done, Jenna, flip it over and start again. And don't go into breakneck speed, just take your time, whatever. Anyway, so that's my, and so God planned the exact day, everything that was going through this. Sometimes it takes me a couple years to read through the Bible. Uh, sometimes a little longer, whatever, just depends, because I've learned finally over many years, just take your time, because the importance of this application. So turn there, Philippians, I want to share with you uh, just one little nugget, and it happens again and again, but if you're not in the Word of God, you don't, you're not there. There's no platform for that. So let's take a look, Galatians, Ephesians. Philippians chapter 1, and here's what it was. Now, let me set the context of what was heavy on my heart is I was having to make some uh, uh, intense decisions in ministry, and there were some things that I had to walk away from. And it was, uh, man, that's, that's pretty, really? I mean, things are going great. I got to walk, what? It just didn't seem to make sense. And, and then there was some heavy-duty persecution. There was some slander, and there was all kinds of things going on. And so this was all in my heart. I'm going, whoa, God, what's, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, as I'm just in my normal routine, normal time with the Lord in the morning, I could still visualize exactly where I was and what I was doing sitting. All of a sudden, this verse came alive. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to what? Advance the gospel. And that was one of those verses, man, when all of a sudden I came across that. It was like, bang, the Spirit of God said, that's it. Okay, this is what I'm doing. Trust me, I know what I'm doing. Okay, this might hurt, might be painful, may not have all the answers now, but I'm telling you, I'm doing this on purpose because when all is said and done, the gospel is going to go forth more than you could ever dream. And you know what? Sure enough, took about six months later, all of a sudden, hey, that's exactly true. But it was that word of encouragement in the word of God that encouraged me six months prior before I even see any of this begin to even manifest. Okay, but if you're not in the word of God, if you don't understand the word of God, you're going to miss out on that constant source of encouragement. Now, flip over to Matthew chapter four, because we're going to deal with this one like the guy did. It wards off temptation. Matthew chapter four. Okay, let's take a look at that text. And that's the classic passage we read uh, quite a while back on the temptation of Jesus. Okay, and uh, let's take a look at that. So scripture memorization is good. Good knowing God's word is good for encouragement and it's good for warding off temptation. Matthew chapter four, verse one is the text. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the uh, entity that people now say uh, almost three quarters of the American church is how high the stat is getting, uh, does not even believe in, and he is mythological. Isn't that mind blowing? I still can't get over that. Okay, we are in a heap of trouble. Okay, the devil. 
Okay, and he's real. Okay, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, Jesus. So the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And so Jesus answered with what? The word of God. It is written. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of TV. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, The word of God. Okay, then the devil didn't... uh, Have you noticed that the devil's persistent? You might have to know a little bit of scripture. He'll come from one angle, but that doesn't mean he's going to leave you alone. Uh, I always had an instructor said that the enemy is an opportunist. Okay, He's not necessarily going to come at you at your strongest point where you have absolutely no temptation and no way he's going to crack the... He will all, he's an opportunist. He will look for your weak points. You know, like a little chink in the armor. Like you want to get somebody, got the chain, you look for the, the little bitty spot just right underneath here that has no armor. That's where he's going to get you. And he'll, he'll whack at you, whack at you, whack at you, whack at you, and just yeah, until he can get a wedge in there and he'll get you. Okay? And, but part of that is just persistence. If he tries one area, he'll go to the next one. It's just like a little gnat. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and always messing with you. And so you need to understand the word of God. And so with Jesus, he wasn't just one time, well, <laughs> gee whiz, I lost against you, I quit. He keeps going at it. It's the same thing with you and I. He is, never, he is never going to stop until we get to heaven. Just deal with it. Chuck it, we're, chuck it up. Uh, it's just going to happen. It's spiritual warfare, and that is never going to stop until we get to heaven. So don't ever think you're going to get to this point where, ah, oh, it's just easy living from now on. Man, I've got it all. Are you kidding me? Okay, that's another setup. But let's take a look. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. What? You mean Satan will even quote scripture back at you, but out of context? Uh-huh, where do you think a lot of false teaching comes from? Okay, uh, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him once again with what? It, popular opinion said on uh, news.com. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, it is written, uh, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And finally, the devil took him, Jesus, to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down. And here's what he ultimately wants. He wants to be worshipped, okay? Uh, Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, the two passages dealing with Satan's fall. It's all about him. He wanted to be God. He wants to be worshipped, okay? Is He wants you to give him the attention. And Jesus said, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, once again, the word of God, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Oh, interesting thing, uh, just dovetailing off of what we dealt with on Sunday about the need to serve Jesus Christ, not as an option. What a privilege that is to store up treasure in heaven and hopefully earn some crowns to lay at his feet one day out of gratefulness, okay? But notice that what was synonymous that Jesus said there he said not just worship God what was the conjunction there and now that means it's tied together so truly if you're worshiping God what's synonymous what are you doing serving can I dare say that maybe even serving is worshiping God in motion and are you really worshiping God if you're not serving him Hey, but that'll preach. We dealt with that on Sunday. Uh, let's continue on. Okay, so we saw a couple things already. Why do we need to memorize Scripture? Because Pastor Billy said so. No, well, okay, if that's to get you kick-started, that beats you sharp stick in the eye. But no, it's for dealing with temptation. If you're sick and tired of losing temptation, get in to the Word of God and commit it to memory because it's going to pop right out, okay? But if there's nothing there, it's just like you're shadow boxing. You don't have nothing to work with, okay? Uh, and, of course, for encouragement. I don't know what to do. What you... It's right there in the Word of God. All right, so let's take a look. Reasons for Scripture memorization. In daily time with God, we were pointed out that the importance of knowing God's Word by memory is clearly seen in Jesus' response to Satan in the wilderness. We read about Satan's temptation. We just did that, Matthew 4. Satan tempted Christ three times to compromise the eternal truth. It's your next two blanks there. The eternal truth of Scripture. Okay, why? 
Because Satan, the Bible says, is a liar. Right? So he's going to do anything he can to be antithetical to the truth. Where's the truth? Well, whatever the government says. Obviously, they are. he's going to Midland early. What? No, no, it's the Bible, right? So how are you going to know? Here's another one, right? It's protection from lies. How many guys wake up every day and go, wow, I can't wait. I can't wait, Junior. And I hope at least one person lies to me today. It's so fun. It's awesome. I mean, what an adrenaline rush. Oh, our relationships are so well. Yeah, and you get excited like that. It's celebrate. It's awesome, right? Okay. Uh, No, we hate being lied to, right? Lies lead to deceit and leads to traps. And if you're dealing with it from a spiritual warfare point of view, he's out to kill you. He's out to mess you up. He wants to mess up your walk with Jesus Christ. And oftentimes it's lies and doubt, doubting God's truth, throw in a lie. It's all in there or whatever, just to mess you up. So if you want to be protected from the lies and the deceits and the traps to harm you, what do you counter it with? The truth. Which, once again, is the Bible. So if he, how, how do you know he's lying to you? How do you even know you're being set up if you don't know the truth? Right? Right? And, and so, again, once you get acquainted with that, then you spot him. Just bang, bang, bang. We talked about this before. Uh, bankers, uh, apparently, as the story goes, uh, if they want to train their tellers to spot a counterfeit, this is their methodology. At first, if you think about it, they're going, man, they got to go through a hundred different kinds of fake counterfeit, and they got to study, well, here's this fake one, this is what this looks like, and here's this fake one, and this looks like, and this one's almost real, but over here in this corner, you can tell it's a fake one. It's like, it's like man, how are you going to remember all that? That's not what they do. What they do, apparently, is all they do is give them the real McCoy, the actual real non-counterfeit uh, $100 bill or whatever it is, okay? And that's all they do. They look at that thing. They study that thing. They look at that thing. They you know, smell it, taste it. They feel it and get it for the right uh, texture and all that stuff. That's all they do. So you think, what? Well, think about it. Logically, it makes a lot of sense, okay? Is now all they got to do is get so familiar with that one thing, the real McCoy, the real thing, is that they can, when a, when a phony comes along, I don't care if it's a thousand of them, bang, spot it, there it is. It's the same thing with the enemy's lies. When you get acquainted with God's truth inside and out, he can't whoop up on you. Because, you know, that's a lie. No, that's not God. That's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. No, that's wrong. No, the Bible says this. Really? Oh, nice try. Uh, lay hands. <laughs> yeah, you must quoted that out of context. That's not what the Bible says. You know, and so you don't fall for this stuff, right? So memorizing scripture is, it's, okay, do you want me to put it up here because Pastor Billy said so? No, I don't think so. Because temptation, for, okay, dealing with that, encouragement and protection against being lied to, okay? And so he tried three times to compromise the eternal truth of Scripture because Christ's knowledge of God's Word. But because of Christ's knowledge of God's Word, obviously, okay, he realized that all things that Satan tempted him to do were what? Against, is your blank there, against God's law. And so what did he do? Threw the truth right back at him. That's your antidote. Throw the truth back at him. Stand on the truth of God's word. I don't care what's going on. I, you know, hey, man, I don't know how we're going to make it. Well, I don't know. The Bible says, you know, uh, I've never seen the righteous forsaken of their children begging for bread. All I know is God says, don't worry about your life. If you just seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. Hey, don't worry. If, don't be even anxious about anything, man. All you got to do is pray and present your request to God and just, man, enjoy his peace that, that passes all understanding. It's awesome. Think about these things. Whatever is right, love and pray. And that's just dealing with one temptation to worry about your circumstances. How do you counteract that? Throw back the truth, man. 
Next thing you know, you do that as a Christian. You stand on it. You trust what God said because it is the truth. He said it. I didn't. It's his promises, not ours. Okay, he's the one that's big enough to uphold them. Hello. And so, man, that's comforting. Just like that, temptation goes away. Worry goes away. Anxiety goes away. All because you countered it with the truth. But you got to know it first. So he quoted the scripture to the tempter uh, and to stand against. The psalmist also realized the importance of the memorized word. Here comes your fourth one. He states in Psalm 119, 9 through 11, how can a young man keep his way pure? Wow. Isn't that the other side of the prayer uh, that we are praying every single day? Oh, God. Today, please uh, cause this life to walk in a holy manner that is worthy of the calling uh, that Jesus Christ has won for me. Uh, I just want to live a life that is absolutely holy wherever I go, whatever I say, my words, my deeds, everything. Oh, that's a good prayer. What do you guys think? That would be a good one once in a while. Okay, well, if you're struggling with that and that's not what's going on, here's the antidote to that. Hey, shocker, that's your fourth one. You're going to see it helps with... Holy living, which again should be something that I would assume we're praying and hopefully uh, working towards. He says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Once again, the Bible comes into play, right? Because that's the standard, right? Isn't that the funny little game that we play? You know what I'm saying? We'll even do that in a little church world, okay? Is we'll find somebody else and it's like, well, at least I'm not as bad as, you know, John over there. You know what I'm saying? Okay, you, you know, I mean, you should have seen him bowling. I'm not that bad. <laughs> I had to say that. No, but, uh, uh, you know, we, we play that game. We compare, right? You know, you look at somebody across, I'm not doing that bad. Right? Which is pride, which is a sin, right? You don't compare yourself. You, here's the issue. Who's the standard when it comes to holy moral living, right? So you can play that game. You say, I'm not as bad as John. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I'm not as bad as whatever. That in itself is a sin, okay? And so then the other thing is uh, if, if, uh, that we, we flip it around and then we say, well, uh, again, I don't necessarily uh, need to do that. Or if you're confronted with the word of God, as we saw last time, we'll say, well, that's a cultural thing, whatever. We play games with the standard. Here's another thing that we do with the standard is uh, we categorize, okay, sin, okay? I'm not as bad as so-and-so or, well, at least I didn't, murder somebody it's just a white lie it's just a small lie everybody lies does that make it right is, is that is that god's accounting it's just well that's just a that's a small one so i'll let you you know some religious organizations do do that you know they, they have certain different categories for sins and etc blah, blah blah and if you say these things you can get rid of those but those you're in a heap of trouble and they play that funny game. And so we categorize it. So how, what is the standard? How can we know the standard so that we don't have to compare ourselves to, to John or Ron or anybody else in this room or myself or, and vice versa? How do we, so we don't play these games with categorizing sin and we try, to, we try to downplay it like, well, it's not that big of a deal because it's just a little thing or, hey, everybody does it and whatever. In fact, that's one thing that uh, I got, was trained uh, in one of my internships and he always had the phrase, uh, Pastor Bill, and he'd say that a bank, uh, uh, the, the river only rises as high as its bank. Okay. And he says that uh, if uh, that is your standard, he says, so as a pastor, uh, your standard uh, needs to be here, okay? Because if you're the shepherd and you're leading, okay, you need to be leading correctly. As we saw last time, that's what blows me away when Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Wow, what a statement, okay? So, but here's the point. But if your pastor is just doing the same old things as everybody else, where's the standard? 
Now, the standard is Jesus Christ, okay? But in leadership, as leadership, that's the whole thing. We, you would assume, not that we're better, but we would assume by nature of being in leadership that at least you're more mature, which translates in your life. That the standard's up here, that you're getting more acquainted with God's word and you're submitting to his standard and it begins to show in your walk with Jesus Christ, okay? But then I flip it around often with people and they'll say, well, hey, Pastor Billy, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, you know, I'm glad that you do that, and that's good. That's what a shepherd's supposed to do, a pastor, and you're supposed to have that standard. And then, act, here's the other funny game, then we act like the rest of us, we don't have to have that standard. That's just for Pastor Billy. You know, that's what we, that's what, yeah, that's what this pastor's supposed to do. Hey, can I break the news to you? God has given this life the gift of teaching, the gift of evangelism, and the gift of encouragement. I believe that. Those three gifts, okay? And so I'm doing, as a Christian, what God has gifted and called this life to do. Okay, not toot my horn, just telling you that's the way it is. Okay, that's, that's my passion. That's what I want to do. That's what he's called me to do. Okay, and the way of life that, that I live, not saying I'm perfect or whatever, is what is uh, what I would frankly be doing even if I wasn't a pastor. Okay, let me flip it around. Did you know the same standard that you have for me or for your pastor or any pastor you've ever had, which I'd assume you put up here, can I break the news to you? You need to have the same one because we're all Christians. We just serve God in different ways. So that's the other goofball game we play. Well, that's what our pastor's supposed to be, but I can do all this other stuff. No, you can't. All this comes with playing games with the standard. How do you know the standard? That's exactly what he says, by knowing your word. You want to live a holy life that's pleasing to God? Get into the word. Okay, let's take a look. By knowing your word with all my heart, I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word have I treasured, literally hid in my heart, that I might not listen, sin. The antithesis to holiness. So that I might not sin against you. That's the whole point. It's not just, as we saw, to win that column in jeopardy or impress people with your biblical knowledge. No, it's so you won't sin against God. But if you're not in the scripture, how are you going to deal with temptation? You'll miss out on encouragement. How are you going to know you're being lied to? And if you're sick and tired of falling in the hole, get out, fall in another hole, get out, fall in another hole, get out, roll around the ditch for a while. If you're sick and tired of that, uh, and then how in the world, if your, your, your walk is dirty and it's not going where it needs to go, that's the antidote. Get into the word of God. Next page. And here's what he says. He says, and to live a life uh, that is worthy of the uh, calling which we have received, Ephesians 4, 1. The psalmist then has some sound advice for us. He tells us, Psalm 1, verse 1 through 3, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. All right? Does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, okay? Nor sit in the what? Nor stand, excuse me, in the path of sinners, is what he says there, okay? Nor sit in the seat of scuffers, okay? So the last thing you want to do, not only get acquainted with the truth, God's word, hiding your heart, but the last thing, you flip it around to the opposite of that. At the same time you do that, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked, do not stand in the same path as sinners, and whatever you do, don't sit in the seat of scoffers, okay? Don't walk there, don't sit there, don't join them, don't do whatever, and man, praise God, we would never do that. Going to get on a soapbox. Can I tell you what happens? Four and a half hours a day is the stat. That's one of the biggest places that you walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the path of the sinners, and you sit around with the scoffers. Right? Got to be careful. It's not just do the right thing, but you got to shut off the bad stuff too. 
Don't let the enemy trick you into walking uh, in that path. He says, but now flip it around. His delight is your next blank there. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Now again, please translate that. Chew on. I don't like that word because it's obviously it's been turned new agey now. Okay. In the Hebrew, that's what we saw before. Literally means just to chew on, just to digest, swallow it, barf it back up, chew on it again. You'll think about it, ponder about it. It's much better, okay, than just meditate, okay? And he will be like a tree of firmly planted by streams of water, which yields his fruit in season, and his leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. Now listen to that. That's your next one. He prospers. Man, God, why does it just seem like everything I do, it just nothing seems to work out or it just seems like it just got all these great things. It just, man, everything seems to fizzle. And why isn't it working? And why am I learning things the hard way and whatever? Maybe you need to get back in the word of God. He blesses obedience. That you prosper. And I'm not always talking financial. I'm talking about doing things for Jesus and, and things of that nature, okay? Now, notice he used the word delight. You delight in the word of God. What are some things that people delight in? Chocolate? Well, that's a quick answer. All right, chocolate. Okay, chocolate. Cow, cow, chicken. I can't put that up there. The board will explode if I put both words in the same context. Nice try, guys. Man, you guys are going downhill. Let's just move on. Okay, so obviously you need to delight in the Word of God, okay? Now here's the point. This is what I share. How do you know if you're delighting in the Word of God? How do you know what you delight in? This is one of my all-time favorite definitions, listen, of idolatry. Okay, and this comes from D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Listen to this, man. You go, well, how do you know if you're loving God or loving something else? Here it is, man. He says, a man's God is that for which he lives, for which he's prepared to give his time, his energy, his money, that which stimulates, rouses, excites, and enthuses him. That's right, I'll read it again. A man's God is that for which he lives, for which he's prepared to give his time, his energy, his money, that which stimulates, rouses, excites, and enthuses him. And if that which you give of your time and that which you live for and you give of your money and you give of your energy and that which ultimately stimulates you, rouses you, excites you, and gets you enthused is not God, it's an idol. That's a stinger, isn't it? But boy, that's why I love that quote because he cuts to the chase because that's the, well, no, it's not, or they, they do that. No. This is it, man. And this is how you know if you're really truly delighting in God and certainly uh, his word. Now, in addition, uh, the, Lord, uh, the Lord in the Old Testament emphasized memorized word by using the follower hyperbolic language. You shall therefore impress these words of mine in your heart and on your soul. Okay, your heart and your soul. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontals on your forehead. Now, how many guys have seen uh, the Orthodox Jewish guys in front of the, the wall over there in Jerusalem, and they got these little black boxes that'll strapped to their head, and they, or they got them out here on their hands. And that's, that's what they're doing. They're taking it from this deal, but dare I say, unfortunately, out of context. Okay, I mean, it is Jewish customs. But what they would do is the scripture, is they memorize a piece of scripture, they'd write it down, put it in the box. Now, that is what you're supposed to do, okay, okay, uh, is the context. But remember, the reason why we are memorizing, committing to memory uh, the word of God is so that we might not, Sin against God. The last thing you want to do is sin with pride and walk around literally because the more that you memorize, you know, you can't fit in a box. So you've got to get a bigger box, right? And so that's what you see. And that's the same thing that Jesus had to confront with the Pharisees is they took something that was good and ultimately twisted it into some Pharisaical thing. And literally, we joked about on Sunday, my crown's bigger than your crown. Well, unfortunately, what happens uh, before with these issues is these guys, ha- they compete. Well, look at the size of Jenna's box on her forehead. 
Wow, she really memorizes scripture. Look at that. That must weigh 19 pounds. That's why she's got bungee straps holding that thing together. That's incredible. But, oh, no, look at Larry. He just got this little pill box. He must have just got started. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. His little box, you know. And that's what they do. It's like, so it becomes some competitive thing. It's like, that's not why you're doing it. It's not to display your box. And yes, he used that, but you missed the whole point. I'm glad we don't do stuff like that today. Let's move on. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's what is going on there. Uh, LaHaye lists several, uh, seven practical results of scripture memorization. Here they include. I just gave you some right here. Okay. It will give you victory over sin. Oh, Pastor Billy, how am I going to win over this? I'm so tired of the sin. This really got me going. I can't oh, get in the word of God. Memorize it. It'll give you victory over sin. It will help you overcome mourning. Pastor Billy, I've just been fretting about this. I don't know what to do. It's a la, la. Uh, uh, memorize some scripture. Okay, it will give you confidence in sharing your faith. I don't know, what if they ask me about UFOs? What about dinosaurs? Ah, what about Moses' dog's favorite brand of ice cream? I don't know, what are you? I don't know if he had ice cream back then in the desert, Ruth, but that's a good one. But uh, you have, you, you, well, get in the word of God. It gives you confidence. As you get equipped, you can give an answer for the hope that lies within you, as the scripture says to do. It speeds up transforming process. You okay? Uh, it assists you in discovering God's will. Oh, if only knew what he called. Get in the Bible. It's right there, okay? It outfits you f- for unlimited service to God, okay? Again, some gifts, uh, I dare say, uh, you can use pretty much right off the bat. Some gifts, I think by nature of the gifts, need to be uh, honed in on, right? For instance, I'll use one that I think I have, and that's the gift of teaching. When I got saved, because the gifts are given at the moment of salvation, okay? We read that on Sunday, Okay, and so right at the moment that I got saved, did I hit the streets and approach churches and says, yes, I'm now going to be your pastor. By nature of that particular gift, it took time to develop, to grow, to nurture, and things of that nature. But you got to get in the Word of God, and it's going to equip you for service, okay? Uh, finally, uh, let's skip down. That says, where do I start? The natural place to start is where uh, you are studying in your personal Bible study, okay? You might want to go back, memorize some of the verses that we dealt with. In the past chapter, as you study, you will read and uh, study a particular verse or several verses that deal specifically with the need in your life. Again, I share with you my particular methodology is if I'm reading and a verse pops out, put that baby to memory. Chew on it, man. And maybe that's why it's all popped out. Commit that thing to memory. I think maybe the Spirit of God wants you uh, to do that. And it says there, uh, it may give you wisdom for a difficult situation you're going through, temptation you're experiencing, or your role in your family as a husband, as a wife, as a child, as... There it is again, Ron. Act. <laughs> Drawing verses from your personal Bible study prevents you from misunderstanding. Is your blank there? Misunderstanding and misapplying the verse. Now, the second way you choose verses to memorize is to decide on a specific issue. Okay? Specific issue wherein you are interested in getting God's perspective. In this case, you could look up in a topical Bible, i.e. do a topical Bible study. Oh, I just don't have peace. I just, oh, it's just struggling, all this stress and whatever. Hey, get in the scripture and do a fabulous study on all the passages that deal with the peace of God. Oh, I've just been so depressed lately. Life is just in the doldrums and whatever. I just don't have any joy. Get in the word of God. Do a study on joy. Where does it come from? How do you maintain it? Right? And on and on it goes. And commit that to memory so that when those depressing temptations come and times come and those challenges, you start quoting the scripture that has to deal with that. Bang, it's gone. If you stand on the truth of God's word. Then you can pick several verses that address that topic and memorize them, etc. Top of page 73. Let's take a look there. All right, how do I do it effectively? Well, it can be carried out in the following steps. 
Review the context of the verse and make sure you understand its true meaning, right? You know what? As a brand new Christian, I think the verse you need to memorize is where it says, and Judas went and hung himself. That's awesome. Right, Tom? And it says in the Bible, so that's what we need to do. No, that's not a good thing to do. Grab the context. That's not something you do. Yes, it's in the Bible. But make sure you grab the context before you commit something to memory so that when you memorize it, it's locked into your memory in the proper order. Okay, just like we saw before when you're wanting to interpret, okay, uh, with the ladies, what they had, they had their hair up and covering and all that stuff. Make sure you grab the context so that you're not committing it to memory with a false understanding. Because that's not going to do you any good. Okay, that's what he's talking about. Now, write the verse or verses down on a note card. Your next two blanks there. Note card, including the reference, book, chapter, and verses. Uh, read the verse aloud several times. I used to do that one on our final uh, in Bible uh, college in one class. Uh, at one final, uh, we had to memorize uh, on top of the other giant test. Uh, we had to memorize uh, the whole Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, and Matthew chapter 7. And uh, then, as uh, extra credit, uh, me and the only other guy who survived Greek after three semesters, uh, and uh, uh, we decided we were going to impress our instructor and memorize the first uh, eight verses there in Matthew chapter 5 in the original Greek. Yes, that's right. And so when he and I were at it and teamwork and what have you, and came time with the test and finished the test, and I went through all that extra work. I'm already running a crazy, whacked-out schedule, and on top of it, trying to memorize the first, memorize the whole thing, period, then memorize the first thing in A, and we get there, and it says, hey, Bob, man, how'd you, how'd you do? Oh, I didn't do it. Let's go back to where that said, uh, you want to uh, lay hands on the person. Anyway, but anyway, so I get some extra credit. But anyway, so you want to do that. I mean, that's what I did. I literally would walk and repeat it. I'd walk around the backyard, round and round and round and round, going through going through the whole thing. So sometimes you can do that. Memorize the reference first, then learn the phrases uh, gradually until you can say the entire verse. As you memorize, visualize it in your mind, write it down. That's what the next point. For, uh, for some, writing is your next blank. Write it out several times during the day. Maybe uh, more effective, especially if you're a visual learner. Uh, now that you can repeat it and with reference, say it aloud several times. It's a good thing to have a friend uh, with whom you can practice. Brady and I used to do that all the time. Uh, I'd pace back and forth on the couch, uh, in front of the couch, and then it was her turn. She'd get up, I'd get on the couch, and we'd say, so we have listeners, and we'd quiz each other and do that stuff. I even, at one point, for tests and things of that nature, I would, back in the day, now, those of you younger, uh, Robert, they had these little devices. They were like little square things about yay big. They had two holes in it, okay? And it went around these little track-looking things. It was called a cassette tape. You know, have you seen one in a museum? It's really cool. Believe it, it really worked. Okay, and uh, we had to take these matchsticks and light them on fire to get energy. No, it wasn't quite that bad. But uh, anyway, so we had the, these cassette things. And so I used to record on a cassette myself, asking myself the question or whatever. And, uh, and in this case, you could use it for scripture memorization. I'd pause, and then I'd give myself the answer. And I had like a 45-minute commute, and so it was just, it was great. So if Brady wasn't always around, man, I'm just all day long, man, I'm quizzing myself. And what were the four church councils of blah, 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 and stuff like that? 
that would be Ephesus, that would be, except, you know, and on and on it goes. And so, so things like that, if you really want it bad enough, you'll find a way uh, to do it. So sometimes that, and then review is the next one. Review the verses daily or at least for a week. And that's why I uh, really appreciate the ministry, me personally, uh, of Awana. Because Awana is big on scripture memorization, what this whole chapter is about. And dare I say, wouldn't it be awesome if you could learn these kind of disciplinary techniques as a young uh, a person instead of waiting until you're older as an adult? after you had all kinds of unfortunate stuff go through your brain? Wouldn't it be a good thing to train our young people to know God's word and specifically commit it to memory? I'd say that, man, when times get tough, uh, boy, they're going to have a lot of things for the Spirit of God to bring back up in their hearts and minds. And what, what a neat concept. Hey, the next is to meditate, literally chew on the verses you committed to your heart. Remember the psalmist taught us, and that's the one uh, that uh, blesses man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the path of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers, but we delight... In the law of the Lord and his law, we meditate, chew on day and night. Notice it's day and night. Not once a week, not twice a week, not once in a blue moon, not after a convicting sermon or Bible study. It's day and night. It's all the time. And this is what it is. Listen, this goes into this. He will prosper. What, what's, the, what's the payoff? Listen, what's he say? And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. Why would that be a good thing? Especially here in the desert. A source of water. And so if you're planted, not at the top of that hill up there, and you got some water in the beginning, and bye. But if you got planted by a source of water, even in the midst of a desert, what's that tree going to constantly, constantly do? You're going to keep on going, keep on producing fruit. And dare I say, Christians in the desert of the world that we live in, why do we not produce much fruit? Why are we withering and drying up in our walk with Jesus Christ? I think we got unplugged. And we're not putting, we're not planting ourselves. Not just once in a while. Will a tree grow better if you water it once a month or every day, a little each day? Depends on the tree. Thank you for that point. Let's say a tree that needs to be watered every day. Let's work together. <laughs> okay. And, uh, but that's the payoff. He says, planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. It's on time. It's regular. It's steady eating, man, because it's right there connected to the source. And its leaf does not wither. Anybody ever get to that point? I'm so dry in my walk with Jesus. How are you doing in your walk with Jesus? Are you daily prayer, daily scripture, memorizing? Are you witnessing? Are you hanging out with godly fellowship? Man, when you're stuck in that environment, it's really awfully hard uh, to get it into a dry period. Not saying you're not going to have challenges dry periods, but by and large, you're not usually there as long, okay, if you're in a good, healthy environment. Okay, now take the time to ponder these implications of the verses you've learned. You might uh, meditate, chew on the applications to your relationship, your relationship with God, Satan, your spouse, your children, your government officials, your neighbors, and Ruth, what? Act. Is right there once again. How long should you memorize scripture? All right, I need a volunteer for this. Who would like to have their five seconds of fame on video? Well, I need a guy. Sorry, Amana. That's right. Give it up for Ron Waxer. Come on down. Ron, he's the man. No pressure, Ron, but you're in my line of sight. It was either you or Orson, and he was trying to hide behind Jeanette and did a pretty good job, too, Orson. Nice technique. All right, just come up here, Ron. Okay, how do you know how long? I developed this test over many years of ministry. I don't have a degree in science, but I really think this is actually profitable, it's fruitful, and it's full of common sense. All right, now, Ron, you can just basically ask yourself the question, how long should I study the scripture and certainly memorize it? Okay, so here's what you do. Here's the scientific test. 
Okay, I'm not a scientist, nor do I play one on TV, except on this study. And uh, so here's what you do. So you take your hand, go like this over your mouth, okay? And just sit there for about five seconds. Just leave it there, okay? Now, okay, now you put it down. Okay, now what you do is you assess your scientific uh, data that you just were transpiring. Now, in the five seconds that you had your hand over your mouth, did you feel air blowing against it? Uh, no. From your, are you serious? No. You weren't breathing? <laughs> You're messing up my scientific data. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that time. Okay. Really? That's good. Okay. So, okay. So, therefore, as a Christian, if you wonder, should I study the scripture? The scientific survey says, if you feel air, you're, there you go. Give it up for Ron. He's got it. Thank you, sir. Everybody, guys. Right on. We'll give you, here's a little treat, Ron, here. Here. Uh. Reward there, we get a little, little gum, a little snack. Get it off, Ron. All right, so a little snack, a little Scooby snack. And uh, yeah, hello, that's a common sense question, man. If, you, if you're sucking air, okay, <laughs> if you feel, <laughs> same thing, rule of witnessing. How do you know if I should witness that person? Hey, there's air on their mouth. I think I should witness to them. You know, if they're still alive, if you're still alive, get in there. It's not that, give me a break. Okay, and so that's what he says. The answer is, how long do I need to be grown spiritually? As long as we are alive, spiritual growth is needed. Solomon was the wisest man that lived, yet in his old age, he started out great. It's not important how you start. How many times do you hear Christians, oh, when I was first saved, I was on fire for Jesus. When I was first saved, man, we were there all the time. We were serving God. We were witnessing souls were being saved. But when was that? That was back in 1974. Oh, it was great. What have you been doing in the last 30 years? Well, I just saw you. Solomon, man, the wisest guy. It's not important how you begin. It's important how you finish. And if you find yourself in a doldrum and you're not got the fire like you used to, get back in the word of God. Because one day is going to be your last day. And how do you want to finish, Christian? Back with nothing but memories of 1974 when you really loved Jesus? Okay, really? Next week, John, you'll be up here earning a piece of gum too. That's right. But uh, anyway, that's right. Uh, let's continue on. Let's close. Solomon was the wisest man ever lived, yet in his old age he neglected. No! And what happened? What was the unfortunate payoff of that? He fell into sin. He ended up with 700 wives and 300 porcupines. That's what a kid said once. I'm not kidding. No, it's concubines. But anyway, that's... Anyway, <laughs> so anyway, anyway. And he fell into sin with all that stuff. Okay, attention to God's word through Bible study and scripture. Memorization is a lifelong... Is your final two blanks there. Lifelong essential. Okay, and it pays, as the one man says, tremendous dividends in life. Now, I will close with this. Dare I say, this understanding of the importance of scripture memorization is what produces not only great leadership in the church. I really think that's what's lacking in our nation. And when you look at what's going on in our nation, in the how many decades now of denigrating the word of God and ripping it away from our courtrooms and our schoolrooms and the minds of the people and supplanting it with this thing and the counsel of the wicked, 
It seems like, are you serious? Did we really have men of this character governing our country? Listen to some of our founding fathers and their attitude towards the scripture as we close. Abraham Lincoln said, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to man. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated to us through this book. W. Gladstone said, I have known 95 of the world's greatest men in my time. And of these, 87 were followers of the Bible. George Washington, believe it or not, said, It is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. Napoleon said, The Bible is no mere book, but a living creature with a power that conquers all that oppose it. Queen Victoria said that that book accounts for the supremacy of England. Daniel Webster said, If there's anything in my thoughts or style to commend, the credit is due, listen, to my parents for instilling in me an early love of the scriptures. That was pre-Awana days. He said, If we abide by the principles taught in the Bible, our country will go on prospering and to prosper. Why? Because that's what God said will happen. He says, but if we in our posterity neglect its instructions and authority, no man can tell how sudden a catastrophe may overwhelm us and bury all our glory in profound obscurity. That's what's going on in our country. John Ruskin said, whatever merit there is in anything that I have written is simply due to the fact that when I was a child, my mother daily read me a part of the Bible and daily made me learn a part of it by heart every single day. W.H. Seward said, the whole hope of human progress is suspended on the ever-growing influence of the Bible. Patrick Henry said, the Bible is worth all other books which have ever been printed. U.S. Uh, Grant uh, said, the Bible is the sheet anchor of our liberties. Horace Greeley said, it is impossible to enslave mentally or socially a Bible-reading people. Maybe that's why we're in such the modern-day slavery That's being thrust upon us because we don't know where freedom comes from. The principles of the Bible, he said, is the groundwork for human freedom. But if you don't know it, how do you know you're being lied to? A couple more. Andrew Jackson said, that book, sir, is the rock on which our republic rests. Robert E. Lee said, in all my perplexities and distresses, the Bible has never failed to give me light and strength. And John Quincy Adam said, so great is my veneration for the Bible that uh, the earlier my children begin to read it, the more confident will be my hope that they will prove to be useful citizens in their country and respectable members of society. I have for many years made a practice to read through the Bible. Once a year, a president of the United States, men of such character that you look back and go, was that a dream? Did that really happen in our nation's history that the people in government, the rulers of our nation, said, hey, you want to, don't look at me, man. The only reason why I'm the man of character I am today is because of the word of God. No wonder we're in a mess. Now again, if you want great leaders, not just in our country, but in our church, we need to do the same thing here. And just as I said, as a pastor, you need, somebody needs to lead the way out of the mess. Okay, I'm telling you, I'm firmly convinced that we do not need revival in America. We need revival in the American church. And if we want to turn our country around, if the Lord should tarry, I think it's, but whatever. If he wants to squeak in one more revival, that would be really cool. We don't know his time. But listen, if we want this country to turn around, it ain't this country. It's not voting in some other person. It is the heart of the church getting back on fire for Jesus Christ, and the church leads the way back. If the church gets on fire, read the scripture, read church history, then the country gets on fire. 
But if we're not on fire for the word of God, we are absolutely total hypocrisy by sitting there and saying that our government needs to get back. You need to get the Bible in school. One of the most hypocritical things that I ever saw in my life was an interview when they were fighting back. They've given up now. At least I don't hear much about it. When they were trying to keep the Ten Commandments in the courtrooms. We had that, remember that judge guy that would stand up for I forget his name. And then they interviewed these I think Christians, I would assume, out there, and they're saying, we're going to have the Ten Commandments. And a secular reporter came up to them and says, what are the Ten Commandments? And they couldn't even answer. We have to lead the way back by example if there is any hope for our nation to turn around. Hey, that sounds like a good reason. Maybe we should add that. Number six, revival. As we close in prayer. Let's do that. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, The the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks. Let's be honest, if you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what do we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. 
The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row, it's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so, even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you could be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.